You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. As Joel said, my name is Foster, and uh, today we are reading Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30, and 36 through 43. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed wheats among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, let's pray as we get into this. God, as Jesus said earlier in this same chapter, We want to be people who have ears that hear and eyes that see and hearts that receive your word. Would you allow that to happen now, God, by your spirit? And we invite your spirit here to be present with us, to be doing that work. And we invite him in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This week I was getting lunch with an old friend of mine. His name is Dimitri Spaderall. He's a pastor at Veritas Bible Church down in Federal Way. And he, he and I worked together at my previous church down in Tacoma, and he was our first pastoral resident there. And he planted this church there in Federal Way in 2020. Great year to plant a church, by the way. <laughs> um, which, by the grace of God, his church is going really well. Things are, things are going well there. Um, and I hadn't sat down with him in over three years. Really, for a long time, was one of my better friends. And so it was so good to see him. 
He now has four small children. Last time I saw him, he had three, and they have a fifth on the way. And his family is now considering joining a homeschooling co-op that my family has been, had been a part of for the last seven years. And we were talking about all kinds of things like that. We were talking about parenting. He's, he's about to speak at a parenting conference in a few weeks. And I was telling him how I'd like to do a parenting conference here at Trinity one day, and that I know Bill does as well. And so we will do a parenting conference here at Trinity uh, at some point, maybe in the next year or so, for those of you who are parents. Uh, and as we were talking about all this, I began to think about this tension that I feel around the issue of parenting as being a parent in the city of Seattle. And the tension is that I feel, I believe, uh, that the Bible teaches that as parents, we are our child's primary discipler and educator, right? And, and yet, at the same time, we live in a city that's not necessarily interested in building up children in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord, right? And so as parents, we feel this tension here living in the city of what is the best pathway to building our children up in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord? What is the way in which we're going to choose to disciple and educate our children? Are we going to homeschool them? Are we going to send them to public school? Are we going to send them to private school? And, and, and it's challenging, and yet all of these options are viable options as long as the parents are, are, are keeping, maintaining that uh, responsibility to raise their kids up in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord. In fact, within our own community group, we have families who have chosen to do public school. We've had families that are chosen, choosing to do private school. Our family chose to do homeschooling after a couple of years uh, in the public school system. And, and so we feel this tension as parents of like, what does it look like for us to be faithful, to, to, to do what God has called us to, and yet we're in a place where it's really difficult to do that. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I think that this tension is not just a tension that parents feel and experience, but it's what brought all of this to mind and opened it up for me this week as I was thinking about it. All of us as Christians should constantly be asking the question, how can I live in this city and work for its good without sharing its values or its idolatry? Amen? Amen. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. There are countless times where I've had conversations with people who've concluded that the answer to that question is, I can't. Right? I got one laugh out of that. Uh, Come on, have you guys had this conversation? Maybe you've been the one who's said something like that. I can't live in a city and work for its good without sharing its values or its idolatry. And yet, in Jesus' parable today, he is going to challenge that notion. He's going to reject that notion altogether. He says that it is God's plan and it is God's purpose to place kingdom people side by side with those who oppose his kingdom. And here's the clincher. He says that that is going to be the case until he returns to judge the living and the dead. That's God's plan. That is God's purpose. Just think about that for a moment. And I want you to think about that in terms of not just it being a challenge to us, but I think it's also and encouragement to us. 
This parable teaches that because wheat and weeds grow together, we must prepare for that harvest. Now, I said that this is a parable. Now, we're in chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel. There are a ton of parables here. What is a parable? I'll probably repeat this every week as we're looking at these parables. A parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And Jesus, in most of these parables, uses some sort of a phrase like, the kingdom of heaven is like, or in this case, for the one this week, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. And so you see, he's using these stories, and he's using the story that we're looking at today to kind of answer this uh, unspoken question of, Jesus, what's it like when you're the sovereign ruler of the world? Jesus, what's it like when you are king? And so think of that as we explore this parable together today. We're gonna, I'm going to reread that parable uh, that Foster read for us, beginning in verse 24, where it said, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, so you've got a farmer who sows good wheat seed in his field, right? And then his enemy comes and sows weeds, and his servants want to pull the weeds. You can't have those weeds growing in that crop, but the master of the house says no. He says Wait, wait until the reapers come at the harvest and they are going to sort it all out for me. Don't worry about it. And so these two crops are supposed to grow alongside each other until they meet their designated end off there in the distance, in the future. And an interesting thing about this wheat and these weeds is that the word, the Greek word translated as weed in our Bibles, our English Bibles, is actually the word for a poisonous plant called darnel, okay? And here's a picture of darnel right alongside the weed, or the wheat. You notice anything? Very similar. Very similar, right? Very similar. In fact, um, they are so similar that they look nearly identical at points in their development process. This darnel is masquerading as wheat. But when it's fully grown, it becomes clear that these are two different plants. What originally looked like wheat is actually a weed. So why doesn't the master of the house get rid of this darnel? Because it would damage the weed. In in uprooting the pest, you would also uproot the crop. And, And so you see, this is the master's plan. That one day the weeds will be burned and the wheat will be gathered together. But that day has not yet come. 
And then privately, Jesus tells his disciples what this parable means. And, and we, he actually did this in the parable we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, man, Jesus is so nice that he, that he did this. He explains this stuff. Because can you imagine if that's all we had? We might be a little bit confused as to what was going on, right? And so we get this sort of insider look at what Jesus tells to his disciples. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. We don't get it. We're too dense, Jesus. Help us out here. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus says, just kind of run back through those really quickly for you, and I'm going to do it in a chart because this is how my brain works. It helps me kind of categorize things. He says, the sower is the son of man. Now, the son of man is Jesus' favorite self-designation. It's, it's shorthand. It's his way of saying he is the Messiah. So the sower is the Messiah, the King, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. The field is the world. And we're going to talk about the world a little bit more in a moment, but it means more than strictly the globe. So the field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. And of course, we're talking about a, a patriarchal society where sons means both sons and daughters. These are the children of God, the good seed. And the weeds are the sons of the evil one, the sons and the daughters, the children of the evil one. Who's that? That's the enemy, so the enemy, Jesus says, is the devil, and the word devil literally means adversary. He's the enemy, the, the opposer, the one who is against God and his ways and his purposes. And then the harvest is at the end of the age, or it is the end of the age. It's the final judgment, Jesus says. Who is going to deal with the harvest? He says the reapers are the angels. The angels, they're going to work on his behalf to reap. So the sons of the kingdom, or the wheat, will exist alongside the sons of the evil one, or the weeds, until when? The end of the age, the judgment day. So think about that for just a moment, friends, especially those of you who are Christians. How long will Christians be called to be in the world, as Jesus says, but not of the world? How long? Until the end. Until the end. That is when God has decided to finally eradicate the world from evil. And the only way that he can do that is by uprooting those who are evil. The final judgment, it's like that harvest where those who belong to God are going to be saved. And those who belong to the devil are going to be destroyed, he says. Because wheat and weeds grow together, we've got to prepare for that harvest. That is why Jesus gives us this parable, to help us to prepare 
for that harvest. How do we prepare for the harvest? How does he tell us? I'm going to give you, I think it's four ways. I guess we'll find out when I get done with all the bullet points. Uh, I think maybe it's five. I don't know. How do we prepare for the harvest? The first way that Jesus tells us is to turn away from sin and lawlessness. Did you catch that in there? It never commands us to do it, but we are to be deterred from doing it. There's a strong warning that Jesus gives us here, and it's designed to help us to see this is not what we want to be a part of. We do not want to be a part of the the weeds here. And so I think this warning is actually a warning for Christians and non-Christians alike. If you're not a Christian and you're with us, you get to hear the good news today that you can be saved. And we're inviting you to find that salvation in Jesus Christ today. But, But even if you are a Christian, I want you to hear this warning Because what we have to recognize is what what Jesus is pointing out is that the story is not yet over. Your life story, the story of the history of the world, it's not yet over. And so for Christians and non-Christians alike, there is still time. You don't need to remain as you are. If If you're living in defiance of God, if you're living in sin against God, if you're living in lawlessness, speaking of God's laws, not of necessarily of, of societal laws, if you're living in opposition to our God, you still have time. And so you're, you're meant to identify as you read this parable, do I, do I want to be a weed? Do I want to remain in this state of opposition against God? I, it, Jesus has shown me now what it's going to cost me in the end. Do I really want to stay here? This is no joke. King Jesus will send his angels and they will gather out all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. You do not want this. And so friend... If you're living in opposition to God, if you're living in repeated, unrepentant, habitual sin, if you're you're living as someone who is a lawbreaker, who is lawless, I want you to hear that you may be wheat and you don't even know it yet. There is still time to repent, to turn away from all the lawbreaking, turn away from the sin and turn to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and your King. Can I get an amen, church? There's still time. And so that's the first way that we prepare for the harvest, by turning away from sin and lawlessness. But there are also attitudes and actions that these sons of the kingdom can have. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time. The, the, the first one I want to point out there of how we prepare for the harvest is to remember that we are not the sower. Remember that we are not the sower. Remember that we didn't sow ourselves. If we are wheat, <laughs> we didn't make ourselves wheat, is what I'm trying to get at. And, and what I'm talking about is this eradication from our hearts of self-righteousness. Okay, so this, this means a couple things, and one of them is this issue of eradicating self-righteousness and, and seeing that Jesus, the sower, is the one who is worthy of glory, not you or me. If we are wheat, 
He is the one who is worthy of glory. And, and remembering this, it actually gives us a heart of humility. It actually transforms us from this self-righteousness to recognizing that God is our righteousness. And it gives us a heart of compassion because we recognize if, if we are a good seed, if we are wheat, it's all because of the sower. Christian, I want you to hear this loud and clear today. You are not better than the weeds. Amen? Can I get an amen to that? Christians, we are not more deserving of being saved. We can never forget the grace of God. Because if you do, you'll believe the lie that it's now your job to go and uproot evil people from the world when it's actually God's sovereign plan for you to grow alongside those who are not a part of his kingdom. Which actually leads us to the second thing. When it comes to not being the sower, the second thing that it means is that we can't act as though we are the ultimate judge of humanity. Now, to be sure, there are ways in which we've got to make judgment calls in life. God has given us that authority and responsibility in certain cases. In fact, if, if you're interested, go look up a sermon I preached called How to Judge People. Um, pretty proud of that sermon title. Uh, <laughs> And that kind of explains the difference between where God has given us that authority and responsibility versus not. But no matter what judgment calls God actually has given us to make, we are never called to hand out tickets to hell. It's not our job. Why? Because we don't have that authority or that ability to do so. Only God does. And he has delegated that authority to Jesus and so we're to withhold judgment as we remember that we are not the sower. Think, think back to that darnel, that, that weed that looks a lot like wheat, right? What did it teach us? It teaches us that you may not know who the wheat is until the harvest. This is especially important in the church. In the church, man, we are so good at being judgmental towards one another, right? Amen. And so when we begin asking the question, like, how do we know if we're the wheat or the, or the weed, that's the point in the sermon where you all start beginning to turn to the person in the pew next to you going, huh, are you a weed? And we got to see, friends, that is not the point of this parable. The church does need to guard itself against evil, yes, but... To be suspicious of every person as though they're, you know, are you the bad guy? I don't know. Are you out to get us here? Not the design of this parable, not the design of the church. The parable is actually speaking much more broadly about the world, not so much specifically about the church. And so this parable should cause us to consider if we want to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, if we're in or out, but it shouldn't cause us to judge people. You know, friends, we see some real evil in this world, don't we? We're surrounded by it all the time. I mean, I think even just last weekend, looking at the West Seattle blog, at the number of shootings that happened and the number of people who were killed, just to scrape the surface, but also the number of rapists and child molesters and war criminals and scammers 
right? People who are living in sexual immorality, people who are living in greed, and, and we're so surrounded by evil that sometimes we're, we're like these servants in that farmer's field. We're too eager to go and, and sort out the people who deserve eternal damnation and those who don't. And I couldn't help but think of the story in, uh, in The Lord of the Rings this week as I was thinking about that. Every good sermon needs a Lord of the Rings illustration, doesn't it? Um, my wife Emily's a mega fan of Lord of the Rings, so I've, I've been exposed to it a lot. And this story immediately came to my mind as I was thinking about this where I'm not going to explain. If you guys are like, this is total nerd stuff. I've, n- I've never seen the movies or read the books. I'm not, I'm not going to explain to you who Frodo and Gandalf are. Okay, sorry. But, uh, but Frodo and Gandalf, oh, I will say, Frodo is... No, no, okay, I'll tell you a little bit. So <laughs> Frodo is kind of our um, protagonist. He's, he's kind of like, yeah, and, and, and he's struggling with the evil that he's facing. And he's talking to a very wise wizard named Gandalf. Okay, how about that? I'll just say that. And Frodo says to him, they're in Moria, he says, it's a pity Bilbo did not kill Gollum when he had the chance. Gollum's one of their enemies. Gandalf replies, he says, pity? It was, a, it was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Pity was what prevented Bilbo from killing Gollum. Gandalf says, many that live deserve death. Some that died deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play in it, for good or evil, before this is over. The pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. And Frodo responds, he says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had ever happened. He's just facing all of this evil. And Gandalf replies, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. Sometimes we we feel that way when we face the evil that there is in this world and sometimes, let's be honest, inside of us. I think I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish this had never happened. Gandalf says, that's not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you were also meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. <laughs> okay, that's not... Lord of the Rings is not the Bible, right? It's, it's an, it was written by a Christian, but it's not necessarily a Christian story. How do I relate that to what we're talking about here today? I'd say... If I were to pull some of those principles and and see how they're drawn out, even from the parable that Jesus is teaching us, I'd say only God, only God, the giver of life, can rightly determine who deserves eternal life and who deserves eternal death. He's the only one with the authority and the ability. And so one way that we prepare for the harvest is to remember that we are not the sower. Another way is that we grow alongside weeds. And if you struggle to embrace this truth in your own life, I want you to remember that Jesus prayed for us 
to be in the world, but not of the world. I've mentioned that phrase a few times, but here's where it's found in, in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. He's praying right before he goes to the cross to die for our sins. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, and he says, I have given them, his disciples, he's saying to God, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus is not talking here about the globe. He's talking about the kingdom of the world. He's talking about the ways that oppose God. That's what he means when he talks about the world. And he says, I do not ask that you take them, that's Jesus' disciples, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So Jesus says he's praying for us to be in the world but not of the world. But see, the problem is many Christians in America, they actually imagine Jesus' prayer differently. They imagine his prayer to be, Father, I ask that you take them out of the world because they are not of the world. But see, Jesus is praying the exact opposite of that. And you see, if we believe that our calling as Christians is to be removed from the world, we will withdraw from secular society. This is why I started thinking about it earlier when I was talking to you about uh, this, this homeschooling conversation that I was having with one of my friends. Because that's one of the easiest places to withdraw from the secular world. Some of you guys are imagining all of my family in our house with like bonnets on and, you know, yes, yeah. Yes, there's a temptation when you homeschool to withdraw. Yes, there's a temptation for parents who are not homeschooling to want to withdraw, to want to keep our kids sanitary and safe from all of that evil stuff that's out there. But I also said this is not reserved for parents. That attitude is not reserved for parents. All of us have this challenge of seeking God's will for what sorts of evil we will expose ourselves to living in this world alongside of weeds. But we have to do that knowing that it is God's will for us to be surrounded by those who don't know him. And part of why that's God's will, we see in this parable, is so that we can grow. You catch that? that it's actually better for us to be close to those who are opposed to God and his ways. And I think one way that it's better for us is that it tests our faith. It puts us around people who don't believe what we believe, and it makes us think, huh, why do I believe that? Should I believe that? Do I believe, do I actually believe that? But another benefit, and I'm guessing this, you might experience this, this is what happens to me when I read this parable, is that I have God's heart for those who don't know him. Did you feel that as we're reading this and we're hearing about the eternal destruction that some people will face? Do you get a feel for God's heart? Do you get an ache when you hear about that? Do you get compassion for those who, for as far as we can tell anyway, are destined for destruction? It should break our hearts to know that some people will experience eternal separation from our God. 
in a place where there's fire and pain that's so severe that Jesus describes it as weeping and gnashing teeth together from the pain. And so I want to invite you now, just for a moment, please, just pause and close your eyes, if you would. Close your eyes with me. And I want you to think, think of someone who's far from God that you know. And now imagine what it would be like if that never changes. Imagine what that person will suffer. You can open your eyes. Doesn't that break your heart? Don't you want that person to meet Jesus? Don't you want them to experience what it's like to know King Jesus? Don't you want that eternal destiny to be changed? See, when we dream of the salvation of those who we love, it becomes a whole lot easier to grow up alongside weeds, doesn't it? And here's where these last two bullet points come together. When, when we remember that we're not the sower and we've been humbled by God, that He would even make us into some fruitful wheat, right? And we grow alongside weeds these two things together, that compassion, it gives us the right view of ourselves and it gives us our right heart toward the world because otherwise it'd be so easy for us just to become like these servants. Remember what they did? When they witnessed evil, they wanted the final judgment to come right now. But Jesus showed us that we are short-sighted. We cannot see all things according to God's timeline. Jesus showed us that many who think that they are saved would be harmed in the process if the harvest were today, and many would not be saved if the harvest were today. And so in the meantime, the roots of the weeds, they're, they're all intertwined with the roots of the wheat. It's all intertwined. We share a common world. We share a common humanity. We share a common government. We share a common society together. This is God's goodwill for us all. And so part of how we prepare for the harvest is by growing alongside the weeds. And finally, this kind of leads me to that final one. How we prepare for the harvest is to sow kingdom seeds. Now, I don't mean to be confusing, but I'm mixing parables and I'm mixing metaphors here, so hopefully it's not too confusing for you. In today's parable, I've just told you, and it was very clear that we cannot be the sower, because that's Jesus' job. But a couple weeks ago, we looked at another parable that had a lot of similar themes, and in that one, we saw that 
in the parable of the sower, we can sow kingdom seeds. In fact, that's part of what it was drawing our attention to, to be people who multiply the fruit of the kingdom. And, and I kind of think of that as multiplying the fruit of the Spirit, that as He grows in us and, and shares with us the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the patience of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God, the gentleness of God, the faithfulness of God, the self-control of God, as we're filled with Him, we're inclined to share that with the world, to sow these kingdom seeds. And all the more now that we are mindful of this future harvest that is coming. And so as Christians, friends, we, we work for the common good of this world. We work for the common good of humanity. We work for the common good of our government. We work for the common good of our society. Yes, we do that in a world filled with evil that we wish weren't there. But we do so with with this deep desire for God to one day purge the world of all of its evil, including the evil that still remains in our own hearts. As we hope for that future, we pray to Him and we ask Him to fulfill those promises. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to close here now as we begin to respond to God with just some community group instructions for this week. I want you to wrestle through what we've been talking about. I want to encourage you to check your heart. Do you have the attitude of the sons of the kingdom? Do you have that humility that we talked about and that compassion? Are you brokenhearted over those who will be one day rooted out? And then secondly, where are you sowing kingdom seeds Or where would you like to begin to that you aren't already? And then let's spend a fair chunk of time, reserve 30 minutes to pray for us to reflect God's heart, but also pray for our city, our neighborhood, and the world. And I will pray now as we begin to respond to God together. Even as I've just read that final set of instructions, God, I'm thinking about how we need your heart. We need to have this humility, but also this compassion. Would you help us, God, to reflect your true heart to this world? And we pray that that wouldn't just be theoretical, it wouldn't just be internal, but it would be something that's very practical in the way that we sow seeds of your kingdom in the different spheres of life that you've given to us where we live, learn, work, and play. Would you help us to show the love of Jesus? to those who you've put in our spheres and help us to respond rightly to you now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.